Hear that? Believe it or not, summer is just around the corner. Luckily, Armorall, America's most trusted auto appearance brand, has what your car needs to get that perfect summer shine. Plus, now through May 31st, we'll give you $5 for every $20 you spend on Armorall products. That means car wash pods, protectant, tire shine, you name it. Find out how to get your $5 rebate at Armorall.com. Armorall, less work, more clean. Terms apply. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble. With exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better. And dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. The world is waiting, waiting for new thinking, for bold ideas that embrace a globally connected community, working together to create a better future for all. And that future, it can be found here at UC Riverside. Here, you'll join a community where diversity equals vitality, where support and empowerment lifts spirits and propels ideas forward. Fearless, innovative, connected. UC Riverside. Bold hearts, brilliant minds. Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino this year. I was only playing for fun, so winning this was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's number one social casino experience. It's serious fun. With over 80 casino-style games to choose from, you too could win life-changing amounts of cash. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumbaCasino.com and give them a whirl. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of a winner. From Autosport.com and Autosport Magazine, I'm Martin Lee and this is the Autosport Podcast. This weekend sees the return of the IndyCar season with the Firestone Grand Prix of St. Petersburg this weekend. Practice later on today on Friday, qualifying tomorrow and the green flag at 12.30 just after lunchtime, Eastern time on Sunday. So to celebrate the return of the IndyCar series, we are bringing you an interview we did a couple of weeks ago with one of the legends of the sport. Alan Junior has lived a double life, a supreme racing talent, but also self-inflicted personal turmoil. He won two kart championships, two Indy 500 victories, and it's rare for someone so successful in a motorsport career to then open up on their struggles with addiction, depression, and abuse. His new book, Alonso Jr., A Checkered Past, is a brutally honest look at some of the stories which racing fans will know and some which he's never talked about before. Growing up in IndyCar with a famous surname, he was put on a pedestal. Nephew to Bobby, son of Al. And the story of little Al would too often leave the pages of Autosport for the tabloids as they charted the fall from grace of an American darling. On the podcast today, James Newbold asks about that journey, that personal journey he's been on, how he found religion, how he's turned his life around and how now he wants to tell the truth of his life, how he was able to suppress his anger at Emerson Fittipaldi after his crash in the 1989 Indy 500. He'd win an award for sportsmanship that day, but he had to fight every natural urge not to retaliate. An amazing story you'll hear on the podcast today. He talks about what he thinks of the current crop of teams and drivers who impresses him the most, and also talks about the process of writing this book alongside the noted author, Jade Gerse, you'll recognise that name from the Beast book, and how he had to stop several times during the process because he was in floods of tears. Enjoy the podcast today. Hello and welcome to a very special edition of the Autosport Podcast. Today we're talking to a two-time Indianapolis 500 winner about his new book, and we're speaking to the co-author of that book as well. I'd like to welcome two very special guests, our first two-time Indy 500 winner with Gallas Racing and Team Penske, also a champion of the much-lamented IROC series, Alan Sir Jr. 
and the second guest is his co-collaborator on the book, an author who's also written books about Penske's 1994 Indy 500 winning Beast Engine, John Andretti and Dale Earnhardt Jr. Welcome Jade Gers. Thank you very much both of you for joining us. Thanks for having us on. Before we get into the book, uh, A Checkered Past, I thought it would be appropriate first to talk about uh, Al's late father, Al Unser Sr., who died last month. A part of a select group of drivers that have won the Indianapolis 500 four times, he was an integral part of your story. Al, a, a great man, and the tributes paid to him from every quarter of the motorsport world tell of just how much respect he was held in. Well, you know, thank you, first off, uh we dearly miss him and 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 uncle bobby too you know it it uh 21 was not good for the for the unser family for sure we first lost uncle bobby in may and then his firstborn bobby jr who i talk a lot about in the book uh we lost him in uh, july and then uh my dad passed away in in december and so uh 21 was a tough year for for us and and so uh but thank you um for the condolences and um you know what can i say i mean he was he was my hero he was the one that uh that really taught me how to go out there and race and be competitive i was i was super lucky and fortunate to be born where i was born and then to uh, to just love racing and um and then, actually, you know, he did more um, as a father than he ever did as a driver coach. Okay, so um, you know, the 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 one thing he he just he loved so many people so 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 much, and and uh, and we do miss him dearly. It's, it's fascinating in the book hearing your your recollections about growing up as the son of a of a famous racing driver, which is you know an experience that that not too many people have. Um, I mean, Jade, if I could bring you in because you know the 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 Unser family in in the U.S. is 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 you know akin to motorsport royalty. Um, there's the you know the the three really famous families in in the Petties, the Andrettis, and the Unsers. Just how big a deal. If you could, you know, explain to people who maybe aren't so familiar with with U.S. motorsport, are the Unsers, and and when were you first aware of um, the Unsers growing up as presumably a motorsport fan? <laughs> well, I I can tell you for certain that um, in the er, in my younger days, the Indy 500 was not televised live in the United States. <laughs> you had to go to a local theater or a local auditorium to watch the race projected on a big screen in black and white. So I have vivid memories of 1970 going to the local auditorium and watching Al win his very first Indy 500. So, uh, so that's a very vivid young memory for me. Um, and really, it, it only built from there. He certainly uh, won again the following year, and it continued to grow. Um, it, it, it is hard to describe the, the, how big the Unser name is a, and was. Um, you, you just, they were sort of ever-present on the IndyCar side of things. Uh, you know, Al's uncle Bobby was uh, uh, just as famous as a TV commentator as he was as a as a racer. Uh, I uh, w- was delayed on a flight one time in Phoenix, Arizona, and and away in the same uh, area of the airport, I suddenly hear this voice. I didn't even need to turn around. It was it was Uncle Bobby. So they they just were were icons of the the sport of IndyCar. And when did you first become aware of of Al Jr. on his on his rise, you know, coming from from short track over racing to to then sliding into Formula V, Can Am, and then onto the IndyCar scene, was he someone that because of his name you were aware of him even before he got to IndyCar? Uh, slightly. I was a big sprint car uh, slash dirt track fan, so I was aware of him uh, in his dirt track days. 
but I was also a fan who attended his very first uh, Indy 500 where he uh, drove the Coors Light uh, car that uh, is just, uh, is, like I say, still seared in my brain. Got in the way of Tom Snead. <laughs> yes, uh, very vivid memories of that, uh, of the fans thinking, what What in the world is this rookie doing? He's getting in the way. So uh, so that, that was the first time I saw Al uh, race in person. So it's tough to beat that memory uh, uh, there uh, of his very first Indy 500. <sighs> I mean, in a lot of ways, you you are then the the ideal guy to write this this book with Al having been there from the start of the journey and and you know all the way through and and Al this this book it covers your rise in motorsport becoming a, a star name in your own right but also the the off track struggles as well. Um, it's a really hard hitting read and a, a brutally honest one, but one that you describe in the introduction to the book as a very cathartic project for you so when did the idea for this book first come about and was it everything was the final product everything that you had hoped it to be well first off uh the final product is more than i had expected and so uh you know and i think i really thank jade for for doing making it a success because jade has a a unique talent to be able to put my voice on on paper so that people can read it. And that's one of the comments I've had. Um, as a matter of fact, Tony George, I was having dinner with him the other night, and and, uh, and he goes, I, I was reading it, and I could hear your voice as I'm reading. And so that is Jade Gerst. That is totally the, the, the talent that Jade has. And so... Um, it's become it's become more than 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 what what I had dreamed about and and so um, you know yeah it's brutally honest and that sort of thing and and so um, you know but it was very very good therapy for me and as we were going through it you know um, there was several times in my in my interviews because we did it via Zoom most of the time with Jade and there's there were several times that that you know I couldn't continue and and but or I needed a break because it was so emotional for me and I started breaking down and and that sort of thing and so um it was very very good therapy for me and and you know we I had been thinking about a book for a very long time you know I've seen other drivers come out with books and so on and they're so young i.e. Dale Jr., I think he's got two or three of them out now, and Jeff Gordon has, has two or three of them out. And so, you know, there, there, there were, I, had never, um, I had never done it because, you know, I felt that my story was not over. And, and honestly, I still feel that way today, that my story is still continuing and that sort of thing. And so, you know, um, Jade and I are going to have to come up with some ideas here in a couple years, and, and Jade is going to be uh, the co-author of my next book, no matter what, you know, kind of thing. And so um, COVID hit, and I was sitting at home, and I'm going, wow, you know, maybe now is a good time to to investigate a book, you know, and start that sort of thing. And so I enrolled in, in an online author class. And I started to attack it myself as an author, a self-published kind of thing. And um, quite honestly, I was doing a pretty good job, you know, I thought anyway. <laughs> and, uh, and I got to the 89 Indy 500 and I was trying to put that on paper and I just couldn't, I couldn't get it done because, and, and because of everything that, that evolved around the 89-500, the finish with Emerson and the thumbs up and all that. And I just, I just, I found out right then I am not an author, okay? And so um, I called up Jade uh, because of our past together with The Beast and so on and, and, and John Andretti's book. And, um, and I said, Jade, please help me. I'm stuck. You know, kind of thing, and and he said he'd, he'd he'd be glad to help me, and so that's how it all came about of 
of Jade and I getting together and actually the book uh, coming to fruition. Jade, I mean, was it were there things that you unearthed in the process of working on the book that, that took you by surprise as well? Because by nature, you have to research these things pretty firmly before you get into a into a conversation. But w- was there anything that, that came out of it that, that surprised you or... Uh, there were there were a few things. Certainly, I was very aware of Al's career, and so there were many uh, elements that I was very aware of or had been there uh, to witness. Uh, but of all my books, I always approach them as a race fan. I'm still a huge race fan. So to hear him describe his thoughts and his emotions inside the helmet when he won his first Indy 500, or as he mentioned, the the dramatic finish with Emerson Fittipaldi, where you know Al ended up uh, backwards and in the wall, uh, and even the 1995 Indy 500 where the entire Penske team failed to qualify. I, as a race fan, not as an author or not as, uh, uh, you know, quote, a professional writer or whatever, uh, I love I love all that. Uh, it's just it's insight that I enjoyed uh, as a fan. So I knew if I was fascinated by it, that the uh, the readers would be as well. Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino this year. I was only playing for fun, so winning this was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's number one social casino experience. It's serious fun. With over 80 casino-style games to choose from, you too could win life-changing amounts of cash. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumbaCasino.com and give them a whirl. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of a winner. Now you mentioned that Tony George, who obviously is a is a big part of the book, as the uh, the former owner of the Indianapolis Motor Speedway, one of the the architects of the split, and and you're you're pretty um, you know uh, straightforward, I suppose, in in ha- in your description of um, how that came about. What what were the 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 most striking reactions to your book i mean you, you mention a lot of people because your your career overlaps with something of a glory period of of indycar racing before the split um i mean for example how you kept information back from bobby rahal when gallas and craco merged or are there any any other people that are mentioned in the book that go hey hang on a moment i didn't realize that had happened not anybody that I know of has come forward and go, you know, that wasn't really right or, you know, stuff like that. And so, no, I've, I've had nothing but positive feedback from, uh, from day one, from the time that, uh, that we put it out there. You mentioned towards the end of the book, your hope that anyone going through similar issues to the ones you faced might use it as a, as a source of, of strength. Do you get the impression or have you heard from anybody that, that has, has come to you and said, thank you for, for sharing your story and it's really helped me? I've had several, several people that have indicated from reading my book um, that they thank me so much for coming out and being honest and being real and admitting uh, the, the, the substance use disorder that I have and, and the struggles that I went through and, and, uh, and they just appreciate the fact that, uh, that, that if I could do it, then, then, you know, they're going to give it a, an effort to do the same thing. And truly, you know, when Jade and I were really talking about the, what we wanted to accomplish with this book is really on that side of things is, is, out of the racing fraternity, out of that fishbowl of the racing world, if we could get out into um, the general public with this thing, um, that would be a success in itself. And and uh, and I I hope that that we have. You know, I I'm uh, kind of what I've been seeing really is is word of mouth has been spreading this thing more and more and more, and so. Um, Hopefully, in the in the you know weeks and months and years to come, that um, you know, honestly, if we can help one individual that knows nothing about racing, um, go and and ask for help. That was the toughest thing for me. Was was that first step? That that first you know 
I've, I've got issues. I need help and to go get help. And, and, um, and that was the toughest thing for, for me to do really. And, and so that took years and years and years and years to do. And, uh, and so, um, yeah, I've, I've had people that, uh, that have, have thanked me for, for that and that they're moving forward in their life. That's, that's really encouraging. And you, you do say in the book about how, you know, had you engaged someone like Roger Penske sooner and, and, and fessed up to him, then it might have completely transformed your 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 journey. But he was the, the last person you wanted to tell Absolutely. when he was your boss. <laughs> <laughs> and my dad, you know, I mean, my dad was the same same way as me. And so, uh, you know, it's it, it's just the fact that 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 we, my dad, my family, my Uncle Bobby, myself, we didn't understand the disease of, 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 of substance use disorder. None of us did. And so we didn't know what to do, you know. And, and so, um, you know, the best thing when that is to ask for help from professionals and, uh, and they'll show you what to do. In a lot of ways, Jade, I mean, I was kind of, you know, talked about it. It, it, it. This book is a lot more than your standard racing memoir, isn't it? It, it has all the things that anyone with a passing interest in, in IndyCar racing and, and now might want to read about, you know, the high points, the championships, the beast engine, the the, the failure to qualify at Indy, which is a, an absolutely remarkable story to, to hear it all, all spelled out as, as clearly um, as that but how it then from the start of one chapter talking about racing to then suddenly pivoting to to the struggles that I was facing is a lot more than a a, a a classical racing book isn't it yeah and and from the very first time that Al and I met to talk to talk about the book he was very open very very willing to tell the the things that uh, don't always paint him as heroic. Uh, and so I admire that about Al is his willingness to be open and honest and to share what were very difficult times in his life. Um, and as again, as a race fan, I, I, that's uh, part of my great love of it. But um, if you just talk about this race and then that race, uh, over and over that that's not a very compelling book that's not uh, really what I'm interested in writing and so Al uh, uh, by his openness and honesty uh, was was wonderful to to work with and wonderful for me to uh, be able to take his words and his stories and and put into uh, to a book form. Now we've talked about the the finish to the 89 Indy 500 um, where going wheel to wheel with with Emerson Fittipaldi, Al comes off worse, ends up in the wall, and he describes his his intention to go out there and and give Emo the finger, um, sort of NASCAR style, I guess, and and how a memory from his childhood of his father telling him not to be like a, a kid who's having a tantrum at the racetrack comes back into his mind and he decides after a, a great struggle to clap him and give him the thumbs up and how he was given uh, an award for sportsmanship um, but how he withheld all the time how difficult it was for him to 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 express that 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 sentiment that's one of my favorite stories of the book Jade and I, I wonder just what was your favorite story that emerged when when speaking to Al of something that either you knew about or, or didn't know about that just really came to life for you? Well, you, you've hit it on the head. I, I find that segment of the book to be really uh, top of the list as far as him being able to share very complex, very multi-layered emotions that the the anger and the frustration of having been knocked out uh, of what he still calls his best ever drive in the Indy 500. Uh, so I, I give full credit to Al for being uh, able to be open and honest and be able to express those mixed emotions with such great uh, detail. Um, I, I can't, I'm trying to go through my brain all the different stories 
but that that one you, that you brought up is is definitely one of my favorites uh, as well. Uh, pretty tough to beat the the multi-layered emotions of that moment and of that uh, segment of the book. Now, one of the other stories that comes across in the in the book is uh, of, of Al's kind of experience testing a Formula One Williams, um, and the the struggles you had to win over Patrick Head. Um, and the other offer that came to you to to join Brabham for for the 1986 season, which you turned down because you hadn't at that point won an Indy 500. But I wanted to know, Al, whether you'd be willing to to share any further. You mentioned in the book about um, uh, a Formula One team that gave you a really low ball offer in the mid 90s while you were winning titles, winning Indy 500s with Team Penske, which, as you say in the book, is the team that you always, as an IndyCar driver, wanted to drive for. Would you be willing to tell us a little bit more about that experience of um, being courted by a Formula One team, but being given a a, a really uh, low par offer? <laughs> um, gosh, um, you know, thinking about it, if, 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 if I wanted to name the team or, or the the entity I would have named it in the book. One of the biggest things in the in the book, I tried not to step on anybody's toes to a point of pain and and hurt. And so uh, the object of the book is to uh, is to help people and 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 the auto racing world be better than what they were yesterday. And so by by you know naming somebody that, that, that I denied that, that I kind of just looked at and went, really honest? <laughs> uh, no, we don't need to be doing that. You talk in the book towards the end about your current involvement in racing. Uh, are you still involved with the Formula 14 Future Star Racing? Absolutely. Absolutely. As a matter of fact, it's, um, it's driving me crazy how busy I actually am. I've, I've, I've got a role of, of director of competition, and, and so um, we're headed down to Sebring uh, to test next week the F4 car and the FR car with, with some, some brand-new drivers, and so we're super excited about that. And, and, uh, and actually, um, with my new role and new position in the team, um, I went to Andy O'Gara just the other day and uh, and told him he's 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 Sarah Fisher's husband and so he's part of the the Sarah Fisher team and our, he was is was um, so they've owned IndyCar teams in the past very successful team and so um, I I went to him the other day and I said you know I said I'm a race car driver I I used to just show up to the racetrack and everything was done. And so now I'm on the other side of that where I got to make sure that everything is done. And so um, it's a whole new world for me. And, and, and honestly, I'm on a huge learning curve and I love it. I absolutely love it. So, uh, you know, it's, it, I've got a whole new respect for all the team managers that I've worked with in the past, you know, Barry Green, um, uh, all kind, all kinds. It skips my mind right now on on them, but they have have one heck of a job um, to make sure that that everything is going right, everything is in the right position, just to go run these cars. So, yeah, whole new respect. One of the other things that you said, sort of towards the end of the book, Al, was that prior to COVID, you were planning to train as a substance abuse counsellor. Is that something that, that you'd like to pick up again some point when when your racing commitments are a little less busy? Uh, the answer is yes, you know, but uh, at this time, um, I'm so busy right now that uh, I'm actually pulling my hair out, you know, kind of thing. And so, uh, yeah, it, it intrigues me. And, and, and if I can be a counselor of use in, in that aspect, and uh, of course, I would I would love to, you know. On uh, on more current IndyCar racing, I mean, it it seems to be going through a really strong period at the moment, um, arguably about as strong as it's been since the split. What's exciting you the most at the moment about current IndyCar racing? I think the teams are getting more and more competitive with each other, and and so on, and so. Um, 
it's tough to go out there and, and win the races like it used to be. And, and so um, I'm excited about it. I think uh, you've got a whole new set of young, talented drivers that are the future of racing. So kind of right now I'm seeing the changing of the guard a lot like uh, the mid to late 80s is when Michael and myself really started the change of the guard back then with our generation. And so I see that occurring right now with, uh, with Pato Award, Colton Herta. You know, those are your two bright stars that, uh, that are going to bring this thing back to uh, its most successful days. You mentioned Colton. You worked with him, obviously, when you were part of the Harding-Steinbrenner setup. Uh, close hand, you obviously raced as well against his his father, Brian. Do you think, you know, from from the what you've seen of Colton, that, that he can be a champion? And, and he's obviously also faced these links with Formula One, with um, the, the the planned buyout of, of, of the Sauber set up last year by Andretti. So he was for a little while there in the middle of a bit of a tug of love for his, for his future, I suppose, as to whether he should do Formula One in the future. Where do you think his future lies and, and do you think he can be an IndyCar champion? He definitely can be an IndyCar champion, without a doubt. I mean, all he has to do is keep doing what he's doing. He doesn't have to change a thing. And uh, and he's going to be an IndyCar champion. And, and, you know, yeah, I mean, he's young enough. He can, uh, he can go into F1, and I think he'd be competitive straight out of the box. So, you know, actually, the first time I ever met Colton um, was the, the Thunder Hill, the 25 Hours of Thunder Hill. It's out in California, and it's it's like an amateur race, okay? And so uh, we're racing there, and, and, and it started to rain, and it's about 3 a.m., and I'm out there running, and, and I'm being super careful, you know? And and uh, and all of a sudden, this car comes, catches me, blows by me, and just, right, just walks away from me, just gone. This thing's gone. And I called in. <laughs> on the radio and I go, who is that? They said, that's Colton Herta. And I go, damn, he's fast, especially in the, in the wet and so on, you know? And so that just proved right then I went, wow, this, this kid is incredible. And so, yeah. I wanted to ask you, Al, I mean, who is the driver currently out there that reminds you the most of you? Because you were a driver who was, was known for really strong racecraft. You had pole positions, but it was the races where you seemed to really shine, knowing when to make the right moves at the right time. So who's the guy out there in, in the current field that you look at most and think, or, or maybe several, that, that, that most reminds you of you? The one who most reminds me of, of myself and Michael, by the way, you know, because Michael was my direct contemporary. And so um, it is Colton. Colton has a famous father. He's got that 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 legacy that he's got to live up to um, in all areas. I think, uh, you know, uh, you know, Colton's a way better qualifier than I ever was. <laughs> okay. So uh, he goes out and he gets it done and he gets it done during the races too. He, he makes very few mistakes, which, uh, which, which puts you in, in, uh, in victory lane at the end of the day. Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino this year. I was only playing for fun, so winning this was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's number one social casino experience. It's serious fun. With over 80 casino-style games to choose from, you too could win life-changing amounts of cash. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumbaCasino.com and give them a whirl. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of a winner. Jade, if I could bring you into the discussion on, on, on current IndyCar, I mean, Al competed at a time when there were multiple chassis manufacturers, different tyre companies, and, and that was a big part of his struggle in the late 90s where he was running a, a, a Goodyear tyre that wasn't competitive against the Firestone, uh, a, a chassis that 
while it was good, it was hamstrung by its engines a lot of the time. So it's a very different formula now than it was back then. How do you see the the strength of IndyCar now where uh, it's a single chassis formula, albeit different engines? How do you kind of view it as a as a as an observer, as a as a fan, compared to uh, in Al's time racing? You know, as a if you say purist, uh, there was greatness in the days of of a variety of chassis or someone showing up at Indy with a, a, a you know something brand new or something completely different. Uh, there was an excitement to that that is no longer uh, there. However, it, it's a very different world. Uh, it's a very different economic times. And so we have to accept that, that those days are, are no longer. What I think it's resulted in is the competition has only ramped up. It, it, it's no longer just a couple of teams that dominate every race. Uh, in IndyCar, you, you know, you've got uh, a number of teams that on any given race can step up and, and win. Um, and as Al mentioned, I think this coming year, it's only going to be stronger. I think the smaller teams are getting closer and closer to the, the top teams. So as a purist, I love the, the days of innovation and distinction. But as a race fan, I, I'm so excited on my my couch every Sunday when the race uh, uh, gets started because it, it, it's wide open right now. It's, it's a fight from first to last, and, and I think that's wonderful. And it's attracting stars that are established in other forms of racing as well. I mean, Roman Grosjean obviously was a, a standout in his rookie year last year, almost took the, the rookie title from Scott McLaughlin, despite not doing the ovals. Yeah, that's true. Jimmy Johnson as well. And and I wonder just, Al, if I could bring you in again. Jimmy is such a, a well-established star in stock cars, and he's had to start pretty much from from zero last year. What are you expecting to see from him on ovals, a, a discipline where he has a lot of experience from from stock cars, but it's as you discovered from uh, IROC competition, when you're jumping between different types of car, just because you have experience in racecraft on an oval means pretty much nothing, doesn't it? No, experience is experience in 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 race cars. No matter what the race car is, you know, each one of them takes a. Uh, each one of them has a different formula, and so you know the ability to adapt to that particular formula is is something that I worked at, you know, huge in in my career. And and you know, with with Jimmy as an example, Jimmy has showed the world how competitive the Indy cars are. It's that simple. He's a super talented driver, and um, and so. You know, he he's just proven, hey, it's tough out here. He's got a great team. He's got great coaches, great engineers, all of that. They're all working together, you know, in, in that Ganassi camp. And so, you know, it's just, for me, it's just a matter of time. Pretty soon, and it's going to, once it happens with Jimmy, it's going to be like a light switch. All of a sudden, it's going to go off. And he's going to be running up in the top five, no problem. And so, uh, but, you know, it takes a while to get there. And it just shows how competitive IndyCar racing is. Before we close, Al, I wanted to ask you uh, a couple of quick questions about some favorite elements of your career. Uh, You were often in in single car teams in the early days of of your IndyCar career, but you did work with some some good teammates in in Bobby Rahal, Emerson Fittipaldi, uh, and and Paul Tracy, who stands out to you as your favourite teammate? I see you uh, chuckling there at the mention of PT. Who 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 sticks out in your mind as as the best teammate? Not PT, okay. <laughs> um, no, it uh, you know Emerson was great to work with, but but I honestly have to say that uh, my relationship with Bobby Rahal um, was the most unique. We're, we're we're really, really good friends today, and and we were friends back then, and and so uh, both on and off the track, it was it was 
it was Bobby is the one who I was closest to. And, and, uh, and honestly, you know, in 1990, um, without Bobby being my teammate and sharing that, that common goal to have the team win the championship, um, I doubt if I, I, I know I wouldn't have won the championship that year. It was, it was because of Bobby being my teammate and being open-minded and helping the whole effort is the reason why, uh, why we won the championship that year. You specifically cite actually in the book, the example of Michigan as a race that, that using his setups really helped you. It was a bit of a unique circumstance though, wasn't it Al? Because, you know, having two teams merge, that's something that, very rarely happens, but also not just a merger of two teams, but two top dogs effectively in those teams, then having to learn to work together. Well, yeah, I mean, I, uh, I pretty much learned my lesson at, at Indy. I tried to do my own, my own way and my own setup at Indy and, and, uh, uh, Bobby clearly had the better car, the better setup, all of that at, uh, in Indy in 1990. And so, um, I learned my lesson there. It wasn't going to happen again. And so, uh, you know, we jumped on it whenever I was a little bit slower than Bobby. I go, I want his setup on the car. Let me feel it right now during practice. And, and then we'll go forward. And, and, you know, eight times out of 10 race day showed up. I was on his setup. <laughs> He's a guy that obviously he he won the Indy 500, he won championships, but he's someone who of that era of drivers maybe isn't held in the highest of regard. Do you feel that Bobby's one of those drivers that maybe was a bit underrated in your opinion? I never underrated him, I can tell you that. Bobby's rookie year was 1982, my rookie year was 1983. Um, Growing up in IndyCar like I did, you know, when he showed up... um, Who's Bobby Rahal? I, you know, that was where'd he come from, kind of thing, and and uh, and so you know, winning back to back championships the 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 way he did, that's that's serious, that's uh, that's strong, and so uh, you know, he's uh, he's definitely a great great race car driver. What did you feel was the skill that best complemented you working together? Because just to bring back on that that topic of, of two top dogs because you'd obviously got used to working in a way that suited you so what was the the skill that he brought that helped you to to bring you along just being open-minded and and willing to share and and for the betterment of the team and and you know at first i i didn't i didn't want to share anything going on and and uh you know finally it was rick gallus who said you know how you, you you could learn from him you know it, it's it's two-way street there and and so uh once that kind of sunk in and i started you know truly believing it after in the races when i'm seeing him pull away from me <laughs> and, and run quicker and all that kind of stuff i had to finally go you know we need to start working more together and i need to start sharing whatever i give is going to come back to me and because of those lessons that i learned with with Bobby and the team, with uh, with with Maury Cranes and Rick Gallas joining forces and all that kind of stuff, made me a better teammate when I went to Roger, when I started driving with Penske and and working with Emerson and all that. You know, it's just it it made me a better teammate to uh, to the other guys. And as a last question, Al, I have to ask you about your favorite car because. A few times in the book, you you sing the praises of some select vehicles. So you reference the '92 Galma as your car. Uh, obviously, you know no one else in the field had one, but it was a little limited as a car that worked at its best uh, on street tracks. You spoke highly of the 1998 Penske PC27 as a chassis, but it was hindered by its um, tires and engine. So I wanted to ask you, what sticks out to you as as your very favourite car and could it be maybe the 1990 or the 94 cars that you won your titles with? Each one was special, you know, when you, when you win big races like that and, and then the efforts that go behind it, you know, um, their, their favorite car is just on the sheer fact that you won, okay? Um, but the one car that I truly enjoyed driving, testing, going out and, and, and being a part of the development of the whole car 
was the PC-27, and it didn't win any races, you know? And so, uh, but, you know, the way the car was designed uh, was just beautiful, and John Travis did a fantastic job designing that car. Do you feel in some ways that that it's a shame that that car is kind of regarded as almost a failure and the, the end of the line really of, of Penske as a chassis manufacturer because its biggest problems lay with with basically with partners that that you you know if, if the partners maybe had been swapped over and, and the chassis had, had sort of stayed as almost as it was um, then it might have been more successful for sure absolutely that uh, that car was such a pleasure to drive and I had to learn how to drive it especially with the gearbox you know, it was so trick and, and I loved it. And once I, once I figured it out, you know, cause I broke a lot of dog rings, a lot of gears trying to learn how to shift that thing. And once I did, I could shift it with three fingers. It was, it was that easy. And that's the way you drove it during the races. And so, uh, it is a shame that it, that it didn't see any checkered flags, but, uh, yeah, it was, it was a beautiful car. And how satisfying was it for you to be a part of, you know, developing that that Penske chassis, knowing that it wasn't just a a Lola that was an off-the-shelf car or a Reynard or or a Swift as as well that were coming along at that time, that it was a car that you, as as the Penske organization, was involved in in developing and and you know really making it your baby. Well, that was that was the reason to drive for Roger Penske from the very beginning. You know, he built his own chassis and, and uh, you know, it's something I think that my dad and my uncle Bobby put into me because that's what they wanted. They wanted their their own chassis to develop, to go out there and, and have the unfair advantage. And so um, you got to you got to work hard to have that, you know, and so uh, that's why, you know, Rick Gallus was the only eagle. In in '83, we were the only eagle in the field, and and so on. And so, um, I loved driving and developing the 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 Indy cars that I could develop. You know, the the Lola and the March. That they, they, those were customer cars. But when we started building our own cars, which happened very few times in my career, um, to go out on test days when nobody's out there. You know, and no fans, there's no racing. It's all about just driving and developing and, and, and the purest of the, the, the purity of the, of the, the day. And, uh, and that's what I truly love doing. As a, as a, as a car, I mean, arguably your most successful car would have been the, the 94 PC 23. Um, you got four pole positions in that car. And of course, uh, as, as Jade has, has told the story in Beast, his, his book on the, on the, the famous, uh, Mercedes engine, it dominated Indy that year. What, what was it about the, the PC 27 for you that, that even elevates it above a winning car in, in PC 23? The design of it, the way that it, it looked with the, the high nose, the 27 was, it was a beautiful car. It, uh, the, the actual design of the gearbox with, with the oil veins going through the casing of the gearbox, the fact that the, the gear cluster was direct drive with the crank when, when the, that was the only car I ever drove that, that had, uh, had the gear cluster, uh, direct drive to the crank. And so, um, there was just things about it that, that, that I truly loved driving. And, and, and the fact that, you know, um, it was because of other reasons that the car didn't see any, any checkered flags. And, and I identified those other reasons in, in the book. And, and so, um, you know, winning cars, of course, the 1994, the 23, when I first joined Penske Racing, you know, it dominated not just the Indy 500. It dominated the whole kart championship that year. You know, I mean, as a team, we won 12 out of 16 races. I mean, that's dominance, right? And so uh, um, it was... That's it the was, sort of dominance you might expect from Formula One, but not really an IndyCar. Right, that's right, that's right. And so, uh, 
it was just a fantastic year. Everything fell our way, you know. Uh, I won a career high of eight races that year, and and it just seemed, you know, Lady Luck was definitely on our side. The ball seemed to bounce our direction no matter what. And just to, to bring it to a close, Jade, what's your favorite car of, of Al's career? Having listened to Al and, and talked to him and 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 plugging into his career what sticks out to you most of all as, as your favorite car from his career well i i was a part of ilmore slash mercedes in al's penske days so uh so those were always iconic you associate that paint scheme with al with Ayrton senna but i don't think you can top his valvoline indie cars uh uh, both the March and, and the Lola, even the uh, the Galmer, uh, there was something so cool about the the Valvoline look, the paint scheme. Uh, as a fan, I, I'd have to say that uh, that that was that was my favorite uh, era um, from from Al. It's a, it's a really evocative time for IndyCar racing and it's been an absolute pleasure to, to go over it with you. Al, Jay, thank you so much for joining us on today's Autosport podcast. We'll be back soon with another edition of the Autosport podcast. Lucky Land Casino, asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Lucky Land Casino. Asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The world is waiting. Waiting for new thinking. For bold ideas that embrace a globally connected community. Working together to create a better future for all. And that future, it can be found here at UC Riverside. Here, you'll join a community where diversity equals vitality. Where support and empowerment lifts spirits and propels ideas forward. Fearless, innovative, connected. UC Riverside. Bold hearts, brilliant minds. Sports Social Podcast Network. With Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, We've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.